0: Hashtag Tim and Friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and I tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this
1: show
2: in 5, let Let's go. Tim and Friends is live from the Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto. I'm Tim McGough, Jesse Rubinoff, and First Things First coming up. In mere moments, as we get you set for day 39 of the Stanley Cup playoffs, game two of the Western Conference final, the NBA draft lottery, and the Jays opening a mini two game set in Miami. That's all on Sportsnet. You know those promos where they go, it's on Sportsnet. Well, tonight, it's on Sportsnet. That's right. All of it on the Sportsnet family of channels that I didn't even mention. NXT on Sportsnet now, which is free to most Sportsnet subscribers. I say this all the time. I mean it this time. We got you covered. Lay the remote down. Okay, so we know where the games are. They're on Sportsnet. Who's playing in those games? Well, that might be the rub. No Kawhi Leonard or Chris Paul in the Game 2 Western Conference Final. We know that. Marcus Morris might mean a 2-0 hole for the Clippers if he doesn't play. In baseball, George Springer has joined the Jays in Miami. He will start in center field. He will bat fifth versus the Marlins tonight. More on that in a flash as well as a couple of suspensions to Alec Manoa and Charlie Montoyo breaking about an hour ago. As for Game 5, Habs Golden Knights, the question is all about the Vegas goalies. Robin Leonard? I think so. But there was some fun and frivolity at the morning skate. That we will discuss. But listen, Pete DeBoer had the trainers standing in front of the sticks to hide who would start in Game 4. I don't think we're going to hear about a starter from the Golden Knights. In fact, nobody even asked the head coach at his availability who is going to start for the Golden Knights tonight. No one asked. I can't imagine after the 20-save, 20 27 save performance that they will turn away from Leonard for tonight's pivotal game five. Then again, I didn't think DeBoer would smitch bump in game four. That's why I love this stuff. Either way, we got you covered. Chris Johnson... Of Hockey Night's Headlines and the NHL on SportsNet will be my co-host for the second hour of the show. We'll talk to Cassie Campbell Pascal and Emily Kaplan of ESPN, who is in Vegas. Also stopping by are the boys from the At the Letters podcast. Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson Smith for a mini round table on the Jays, Mark Sheldon on the Raptors draft lottery. Mark Stein on the idea of a Kyle Lowry signing trade that you are going to want to stick around for. Trust me. And, sorry, why is Tristan Thompson trending in Canada? It must be for Canada basketball. Just check. No, nope, never mind. Mm. Kardashian drama again, Jesse. Uh, he may or may not have stepped out. Um, do you have any idea how many times this is I'm for not Tristan Thompson? no. no.
3: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16.
2: Okay. I get it. It's been a few times. Jesse Rubinoff, the one and only Biggie Smalls. This is First Things First.
4: <laughs> first Things First.
2: first. Did he just count to 16? I so think you got to 16. Yeah, that's yeah. high. Yeah. My number. I might be underestimating it, but whatever. It's in the teens. I'm not into that drama. I just (laughs) understand it. Let's go to first
5: things first. Here's what everyone's talking about today, Timmy. It Mm -hmm. should be a a lit atmosphere, as the kids say, in Vegas between the Habs and Golden Knights. Game five, no lineup changes expected for Montreal, but Vegas could have top-line center Chandler Stephenson back after missing the last three games with an upper-body injury. Pete DeBoer said Stephenson would be a game-time decision, and... You talked about this, Timmy. The other big question for the Golden Knights is, who starts in goal after Robin Leonard replaced Marc-Andre Fleury in Game 4 and stopped 27 of 28 in an overtime win? Most expected DeBoer to stick with Leonard, but it was Fleury that got the bulk of the work at the morning skate, and he was the first goalie off the ice, which is typically an indicator of who will start. Leonard reportedly was yelling at Fleury, quote, go off first. ha, <laughs> ha! <laughs> letter's the best, man. letter of those no, two guys. All
2: things the best. Uh, Timmy, what do you read into this? Uh, morning one, uh, do kids actually say lit, or do older people trying to act like kids say lit? I think I I just answered that <laughs> by how I started it. <laughs> right. so, a, yeah. I just wanted to make sure. I don't know. I hear it often. Nah. I just don't know who actually says it in everyday speech. <laughs> this one's weird to me because I don't know how much of a difference it makes in the Habs preparation. Like, it seems like gamesmanship, but who really cares? You have a book on both goalies. You know what you're going to do against both goalies. What's the big deal? Why is he covering? The, why are they covering the sticks? I, I don't get it. You've played against both goalies. I. Maybe, maybe you will practice your power play differently against, like, if one has better lateral mobility, maybe. But it's a morning skate. Like, how much are you actually doing? You may talk about or watch film on both mm-hmm. because you're not sure. But I, I just don't see what the big, huge secret is about though maybe because I'm on the outside looking in. I feel like it's going to be Robin Leonard who's going to play this game, and I think it's because he played so well in the last game. But then again, if you look at Marc-Andre Fleury's numbers in the postseason, they did not suggest that you would go away from him. Yeah. I think one of the key factors in all of this, and this is where I want to get your opinion, mm. Like, don't you feel like when they signed Robin Leonard in October of not a long time ago to a five year deal that lasted, what, three more years after four more years after Fleury's done his deal, that they were saying, that's our guy? That's a good question. Um, I would say Fleury's getting seven million a year. No,
5: I I would say in in today's NHL, um, teams are really trying very hard. To have a 1A and a 1B.
2: Not in the postseason.
5: Not not necessarily in the postseason, but in situations like this, it can help you. They are showing that it can help you because the team went away from flurry whether it was for rest or whatever, but they did end up going with Robin Leonard, and they may end up going with Robin Leonard tonight. And this is with a guy on the bench we mentioned yesterday. He's won three Stanley Cups, and he's, I think, either first or second in Conn Smythe odds right now. So it is quite a
2: luxury to have two goalies (laughs) like this. Without a doubt. And I I agree with you for the regular season. I think if you talk to most coaches, they would say they want to stick with one. And the coach who had a player's agent tweet a sword through the back of the same goalie that he just benched again, like, I don't know if he wanted to walk this road again, but you do what you got to do to win. And if he thinks Robin Leonard gives him a better chance to win, I just... When I saw that contract, I thought, well, here's Fleury again in a very precarious spot. And lo and behold, even though he has played wonderfully, Mm -hmm. like unbelievably, like you said, what is he, second in Vegas to be the Conn Smythe Award winner? Behind Vasilevsky, I believe, yeah. And he's on the bench. Now, that was a critical mistake that he made (laughs) at a very key time in a game that they had dominated. But uh, this is why I love all this stuff. Yeah. Leaving a good goalie, letting him
5: go or something like that. You just feel like you would lament the loss of a talented goalie like Marc-Andre Fleury. We saw it in Pittsburgh and, you know, we would maybe end up seeing it again. Lots more coming up on this game. We've got a lot to talk about. But last night, the Tampa Bay Lightning took a 3-2 lead in their series with the Islanders after being held to nine goals combined in the first four games of the series. Uh, Yeah, they scored eight in game five. In front for
3: to
2: to scores! 45 seconds in. county Gord waits, fakes, scores! It's in, they score! Alex Kalorn got a piece of it. All of a sudden, it's snowballing. coast scores! Second of the night, scores! Palat got a piece of it, it's 5-0. The shot scores! Alex Kalorn got the tip. Kucherov in front, brain in point! Scores! Fed the line for Shannon, that goes in the net. Goal number. It's been that kind of night for the Islanders. Well, enough
5: goals for you, Timmy, yeah. and the guy at the end throwing his jersey down yeah. at the Islanders viewing party. Uh, what impressed you most about
2: Tampa's eight-nothing victory over the Islanders? How tough they are. Yeah. Uh, now 12-0 in the last two playoff seasons after a loss. Like that is. This was the flop team of the NHL mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and pay close attention to what I'm talking about. I don't know, Toronto, Edmonton. Like, this is a team that was considered to be a flop squad. Couldn't get it done when it mattered most. And now they're showing... The best resiliency we've seen in a long time. 12-0 and 0 after a loss Ridiculous in statistics. the postseason. Yeah. And they look like the best team in the NHL once again. They look like the favorites to win the Stanley Cup because they are the favorites to win the Stanley Cup despite the fact that they've had a bit of a tough time with the New York Islanders. Listen, the New York Islanders are the epitome of hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm-hmm. But when talent works hard, look the bleep out. 8 nothing. There's a bunch of teams in Canada that need to take a real hard look at how the Tampa Bay Lightning did it because they're showing exactly what they are.
5: There was one play last night, Matthew Barzell, obviously with that high cross-check. People wondering, is he going to get suspended? Ended up getting fined $5,000 for this play right
2: here. Yeah, this uh, is back to the officiating. This is back to the, like, if it wasn't an elimination game, if it wasn't Matt Barzell, would he be out? Like, yeah. there's a bunch... All I think is that he squared up a guy and his stick rode up and hit him in the face, and I'm good with the fine. But I know if it was a different situation, a different player, a different guy on the yeah. ground, a different game in the postseason, we might be looking at a one- or two-game suspension. Yeah. It's just that
5: inconsistency bugs me. Honestly, but at, this I get point. It. at this point, if you would have said two games, I would have been like, okay. If you said $5,000, which it is, Okay. That's just what it is now
2: with the Department of Player right, Safety. Don't ask me any more about those. Like yeah. I'm just gonna say, this is ridiculous. All right, that's perfect. Then
5: we'll move on to the Raptors. Uh, back in the NBA Draft Lottery for the first time since 2016, you can see it on Sportsnet 360 at 8:30 Eastern ahead of Game Two of the Western Conference Finals. The Raps have the seventh best odds to land the first overall pick and a 31.9 percent chance of getting into the top four. Timmy, what should Raptors fans be
2: looking for tonight? I know I should be saying something along the lines of that 7.5% chance or even like seems like a top-heavy draft, yeah. seems like top four, depending on who you talk to, top five could be a real good draft and the Raptors getting from where they are now into this top five or top four, 31.9% into the top four, I think you really want to see that. That's what Raptor fans should be looking for. However, I can't help but think of the juice laid out by Mark Stein last night, and I couldn't help but think at the end of the last round that the Lakers and the Sixers made absolutely massive mistakes by not giving up what they should have given up to get Kyle Lowry. And Mark Stein was on Central last night and he said he could see perhaps a signing trade for Kyle Lowry and wondered if the Sixers after all they went through would sign and trade for Kyle Lowry Ben Simmons. <laughs> and I just said this is so there's so many layers to this and guess what? Mark Stein is going to join us a little later on in the show. So, listen, I I don't know if the numbers on the uh, odd shark on the Toronto Raptors should go down because of this. It might be a common sense trade that doesn't often happen. But we'll talk a little later to Mark Stein about that potential sign and trade. Kyle Lowry for Ben Simmons. And if you're a Raptor fan, whether you would want Ben Simmons
5: on your team. Certainly sort of a reclamation project at this. I mean, there's a lot of great things that Ben Simmons does. He's first-team all-defense. He's incredible in transition. But you're talking about a guy who's left-handed or was brought up to play left-handed, took 70% of his shots in the postseason with his right hand. So there is something going on there, and someone is going to need to fix it. Whether you want to be the team to do that is the question.
2: Yeah, and the Raptors' development yeah. has been very good. But does this guy want to work? Yeah. That's the question. That
5: is the question. Uh, big... Big time Jays news. Yes. You touched on it off the top. Jays fans have been waiting a while to hear this. George Springer will be back in the lineup tonight, playing center field and batting fifth as the Jays open a two game series with the Marlins in Miami. Springer has appeared in just four games for the Jays, all as DH, since signing a six year, $150 million deal in the offseason. And it's been as frustrating for him as it has for Blue Jays fans.
6: It's been brutal to be completely honest you know I I want to play um I've wanted to play this whole time you know I don't I don't want to be hurt I don't like being hurt I I understand that injuries do do happen um but for it to happen the way it did um especially as fast as it did was not fun I I want to be out there with the guys I want to play um you know whether that's um good bad indifferent whatever the case and and this has been extremely hard on me
5: I know a big sticking point for me and you when we were talking about Springer was that he wasn't playing in the field. Yeah. And tonight he will be playing in the field and he'll be batting fifth. Is batting fifth the right spot for him or does it matter? Or are we just happy that George Springer's back in the
2: lineup? Well, I think most Jays fans are just happy that George Springer's back in the lineup. But let me tell you something. This is a guy who doesn't bat low in the order very mm-hmm. often. Like, if you go back, and I got this from one of the producers on Blue Jay Central, Chris Black, uh, he has batted fifth or lower nine times in his career, only nine. He hasn't, he hasn't hit leadoff since August of 2016 and fifth or lower. He's done it just nine times. This doesn't happen very often, but then I was thinking, okay, this could be a sticking point until I heard George Springer say this.
6: I told him that I think it's very important that, you know, the, the guys um, stay where they are. You know, I, I I believe strongly in the way you know um, Marcus, Bo, Vladdy, all those guys. And the, the 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 way that they've swung the bat, the way that they've gotten comfortable in those positions, you know, hitting with guys. Um, you know, I I I told him that I'm willing to do whatever he wants me to do. Um, what's best for the team, and you know, eventually we'll we'll see what what th- th- that is. But you know, whatever he decides to do, I'm on board with it.
2: And that's why you paid $150 million for the guy. guy. And you heard all of the things about being good in the clubhouse, stuff. When he says that, he lets every Jays management, Charlie Montoyo, even if he's not there, off the hook. You bat him fifth, and he's good to go. And what a lineup it is to have George Springer batting fifth. Uh, One more note that we have to pass along when it comes to the Mm -hmm. Jays. Some suspensions were levied uh, because of Alec Manoa, plunking Mikel Franco in the back after giving up back-to-back home runs. He was ejected immediately from the game, and some were asking how you could judge intent. Well, Major League Baseball has five-game suspension for Montoyo, one-game suspension for Charlie Montoyo. And listen, if you hit a guy after back-to-back home runs, I probably think you meant to do it. But Major League Baseball very rarely judges intent. And they did it on the field, and they did it with this suspension. I hope they do it more often because you know exactly what was going on. And these, att- these attempts to explain it off like you're still in the clubhouse, to me, are near laughable. We kn- everyone knows what he did. That's why the bench is cleared, and that's why the manager's aim almost came to blows. And I almost kind of like it from a starter. He's got some fire in his belly, and that's good but don't complain about the suspension. I know there's thousands of Jays fans right now that are really upset about the suspension. We all know what he did, but Major League Baseball, please, some consistency here. Feels like the NHL. <laughs> that's that's, the what, words people, out that's of what people I'm sorry. Are,
5: yeah, well that's what people are tweeting at at right. Tim and friends
2: right now. Yeah, See, there's no just, consistency. No, zero. We're, gonna, it, we're now going to judge intent. It's the wild west here. Please do it all the time if you're going to do it every once in a while. Still to come, Chris Johnson in studio, Sean McKenzie, Emily Kaplan from Las Vegas, plus Cassie Campbell-Pascal ahead of Game 5. Also, NBA Draft Lottery will get you set, Mark Stein. And up next, George Springer back with the Jays. Good time for a Jays roundtable. Ben Nicholson-Smith, Arden swelling after the break right here on Tim & Friends. In front for Florida, Stephco scores! It's in, they score!
3: 40, 41, 42, 43.
7: They are loving it here at the Everly Arena in Tampa Bay.
3: City, City 1, City 2, City 3.
7: And they really put a, a licking on the New York Islanders.
3: 76, 77, 7.
2: Tampa fans trying to do a little singing of their own here.
3: 98,
2: 99, 100, 100, yeah. To my friends, so much to talk about. The Tuesday Roundtable, a little different this time around. We have loaded all the whole grain goodness into one segment with two fine chaps delivering said whole grain goodness. And on this George Springer Day 2.0. We have enlisted the services of the at the letters boys po- at the letters podcast boy. Ah, Whatever. It's Ben Nicholson Smith and Arden Zwelling. Uh, what's good, fellas? Hey Tim, how's it going? Uh, I'm good. Uh, but what really? What's good? Like I like ice cream and little things. I like executing a bunt play. I like uh, a solid wide receiver block. I like a subtle shot fake. Uh, Basketball and/or hockey, and then sliding a pass for a wide open layup and/or shot. Uh, Arden Swelling, what's good? First sip of coffee in the morning, that very first one. That's a nice moment. Yeah, I get to have it myself. I'm with you there. Uh, Ben (laughs) Nicholson Smith, what's good? Um, I'll throw pizza in the ring as long as we're going general here. When is pizza not good? Those are two fine answers. Uh, Whenever someone asks me what's good in real life, I actually think about it, and it's the wrong thing to do, and I sprung it on you, and you both had good answers. Ben, George Springer, go.
1: He's back. He's back. I mean, that's, that's a big deal, right? After, after, what, seven weeks of no Springer, now they get this guy. They spent $150 million on, and he says he feels great. So it's, a, it's going to be interesting to see what he can finally do. Uh,
2: Aaron, let's, let's talk a little bit about like where he fits, uh, what he's going to do to this lineup. I know there was much consternation about where he would bat when he came back to the lineup, and it's not often that he bats fifth or lower, but I thought he took him off the hook with a veteran uh, Zoom—I was going to say news conference, but a veteran Zoom call earlier today when he said, I went and talked to Charlie, and I said, bat me wherever you want to go. That's kind of what you paid the $150 million for, the center field, the bat, and a little bit of that, no?
0: Can you imagine if he came to us and said, you know, when I watched in the clubhouse today and I saw the lineup (laughs) card, I stormed right in Charlie's office and I started throwing stuff around and I threw a fit and I went nuts. Yeah, it's not what you're going to get with George Springer. And that's part of the reason why the blue Jays brought brought him here, right? Is because they believe in the character and they believe in the clubhouse guy that he is in spite of what we know about his, his cheating history with the, uh, with the Houston Astros. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense, right? You don't offend anybody by putting him at, at fifth, but if George Springer hits like George Springer can over the next week, two weeks, however long, the Blue Jays need to find a way to get him back up towards the top of the order.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the natural follow there, isn't it, Ben, where you're like, okay, so how long is he batting fifth?
0: Well, it can't be for
1: very long. As Arden said, like you're looking at one of the better hitters in baseball, not just one of the better leadoff hitters, but one of the better hitters. So you want him hitting as often as you possibly can. And I understand the decision to ease him in. I think it makes a lot of sense, actually, when he hasn't had a lot of at-bats recently against high-level pitching. But once he gets back to being that 900 OPS center fielder who hits 35 homers every year, then you want that guy hitting toward the top of the lineup. And if that means that Bobashek gets bumped down a bit. Marcus Simeon gets bumped down. I think we know Vladdy's not leaving that top three, but you could move one of the other two and it would be totally
2: fine. Arden has uh, Marcus Simeon cooling a little bit. And I know it's smaller sample size. We're talking like 15 games, 16 games. Uh, Does that make it a little bit easier or does that make it more difficult on the Jays? Because if he gets back to where he was, which was player of the month type levels, Um, like are you worried about where you move him because of the cooling of late? He's still
0: like a what? Top 25, top 30 hitter across MLB, even with the, the slight cooling effect that we've seen. So I still want him up top as well. I mean, for me, guys, my ideal Blue Jays batting order is Simeon leading off, Vlad hitting second, Springer third, Teoscar Hernandez in the cleanup spot, and then you can pick Bo or Randall Gritchick to hit fifth, probably Bo just based off of recent performance, and then you get Gritchick in sixth, but you can flip-flop those guys if you want. That's the way I'm doing it. Like, I think we are kind of missing the plot a little bit here in talking about where Springer hits when you have the best hitter in in baseball, in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is seeing fewer plate appearances per game by hitting third, I think he should be hitting second in any Blue Jays lineup.
2: You know, uh, I have bets on from the start of the year on Bo Bichette to lead Major League Baseball in runs and hits. And this lineup that you're talking about, Arden, <laughs> sucks because this looks like a wonderful. The runs pays over a thousand bucks on like a twenty-five dollar bet that I had earlier in this. We can't start doing this to this order. <laughs>
0: I'm not thinking about you here, Tim. I'm thinking about the Blue Jays. Uh, I'm thinking about the Blue Jays winning, not Tim winning, uh, you know, whatever hoagie sub you've got put on that or steak dinner maybe. So, yeah, that's the way I see it. Like, I I don't think that Simeon should lose that leadoff spot. I think he's been great there. And I know George Springer has hit leadoff his entire career, but why not bat him third? Like that was lead off with the Houston Astros. Like this is a different club and a different lineup construction. So if he's fine with hitting fifth, then I think he'll be fine with hitting third behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, who's going to get pitched to in that scenario because George Springer's in the on-deck circle.
2: I love doing the At The Letters podcast here on uh, on Tim and Friends. So Ben, if you hear this and you just want to jump in like you do on the podcast, is there anything that Arden is saying that makes you kind of a little pissed off, a little a little wondering what he's talking about.
1: I think generally it makes sense. I mean, okay. to me, I would go Springer leadoff and Vladdy too. But I think the idea of having those two at the very top makes sense. I'm not too worried about, you know, Bobachet, Semyon, Gritchuk, Tay Those guys can be anywhere from four to six. Someone's obviously gonna hit third, but I think to me, you go Springer, Vladdy, they're your two best hitters. You don't really need to overcomplicate it beyond that. But really, you know, you zoom out beyond the kind of day to day decision making, they are in such a good spot to be able to make these decisions right now and finally have
2: the pieces that they actually envisioned when they started this season. Okay, so, Ben, here's the question. Obviously, this is a good offensive lineup. Can they out hit their problems and climb back into this AL East race? Or do if they need help? Team-
1: I think if any team can, it's it's the Blue Jays. They have one of the best offenses in baseball right now. You could put them up there with the Astros, with the White Sox, the Dodgers. They're in that group. And so they're going to out-hit some of their problems. But they still have those problems and they still have to address them. And even there's room to improve this offense as good as it is going to be. So they need bullpen help. I mean, that's like, the, we, we knew that three weeks ago. Everyone who's watching knows that. The Blue Jays front office knows that. So those issues still exist. The offense will help hit their way through some of those problems, but it won't do it entirely.
2: So they need to reinforce this team as soon as they possibly can. Arden, what is that soon as they possibly can? Because I think a lot of Jays fans are getting a little tired here.
0: Yeah, it, it takes two to the tango is the problem there, yeah. right? And there's not a lot of clubs right now that are motivated to to move, especially you know relief pitchers who are going to be in high demand come the trade deadline. Like, it's not just the Blue Jays. We're going to be looking for really good relievers. It's the Houston Astros. It's the Los Angeles Angels. It's the Atlanta Braves. It's going to be any good team, any playoff contender across MLB. So if you have one of those pieces and you're selling it, you're thinking, well, you know, I'm going to wait until July 29th, the day before the trade deadline when I'm going to have the biggest market possible and I'm going to have as many bidders as possible and some team gets desperate and comes off of their position of not giving up what I've been asking for so you can look maybe a a tier below and maybe some of those second or third tier names could be budged for for the right price but that's also not going to make as big of an impact on your roster as say uh, a Kendall Graveman or a Daniel Hudson would
2: all right, uh, let me follow up on the suspensions, boys, and I'll start with you, Arden. Alec Manoa, five games, Charlie Montoyo suspended uh, one game. We asked people on Twitter, just give us your thoughts, and those thoughts aren't all that great. Dave writes in, says, Clown League, Manoa, Montoyo have now been punished harder than any player involved in stealing a World Series for a single bean batter on a pitch that got away from him. This suspension makes the NHL player safety look competent. Uh, There's already 68 likes on Dave's tweet. Arden, like, I don't know that Major League Baseball uh, makes a habit of judging intent, but after back-to-back home runs, it looks kind of suspicious. I agree, and
0: we can't judge intent, and I wonder how much Franco's reaction went into it. You know, Franco had just taken it and walked to first base. Are we having this conversation? Is Alec Manoa suspended? Is there anything here... I don't know but you know clearly Michael Franco reacts the way he does the bench is clear he gets tossed out it becomes a whole thing it's just this this domino effect that that occurs I mean the thing that really has me scratching my head about it is Ryan Tapera earlier this year threw at Brandon Woodruff and admitted it after the game came out and said he was trying to send a message he got three games Tyler Duffy Threw at Yearman Mercedes, and he didn't admit it like Tapera did. But we all know what was happening <laughs> yes. there. There was an unwritten rule violation yeah. that was being policed. He got three games. So I don't understand why Tapera and Duffy only got three and Manoa gets five in a situation where it's far less clear that there was intent behind his action. Ben? You know, I think it's a starter
1: versus reliever thing where, you know, for for a starting pitcher to miss five games, it's almost like nothing. And we saw Manoa is appealing the suspension, so he won't serve it right away. So he might, and we don't know exactly how this will work, but it wouldn't be a shock if after his next start, he decides to drop that appeal. Okay, serve the five games. And right in time for his next start, he's eligible to return. So I I think with a reliever, that's why it might be a smaller scale. And so to me... I honestly think this suspension kind of makes sense. If you're the Blue Jays, you do time when you drop the appeal very strategically. Mm-hmm. But I don't think missing
2: five games for a starting pitcher is really too, too bad. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's not even one start if you time it out that way. All right, uh, one last one, because we're almost out of time here. It's flying as at the letters comes to uh, Tim and Friends. Uh, Arden, let me ask you this. The Ross Stripling mechanics change have paid like wonderful dividends is this something like the crackdown right now is in effect is this something sustainable is this something that he has found in his delivery like what has the last little while told you and i guess we're talking about five games here but what has it told you about what stripling's done I think it is a lot, uh, uh, yeah, I think it is sustainable. Yeah. Like
0: He's been so much more efficient with his fastball and the curveball has looked a lot better and he's used a lot more effectively. Clearly, he's made some very demonstrable changes that are impacting him in a possible way, in a positive way. He looks more confident on the mound. He looks more sure of himself. And while I know that Blue Jays fans haven't had the greatest first impression of Ross Stripling, either last season or early in this season, uh, this is a guy with a pretty proven track record, year over year with the LA Dodgers. This is a guy who was very good in their rotation, was used in the bullpen sometimes because they have so many good starters. The Dodgers do. He was an all-star one season. I mean, he's had a fine career and he's been very successful at the big league level. He clearly just got away from doing what was allowing him to be his best. And now he's back to doing it. So it's interesting. The Blue Jays suddenly have some interesting starting depth when you look at Stripling pitching well at the back end of that rotation. Obviously, Manoa, when, when he's suspended, if he's suspended, When he comes back, however they game that, he's looked good lately. And then you've got a nice layer
2: of Thomas Hatch and Nate Pearson coming up behind those guys. Uh, Ben, last one. Um, The crackdowns in effect, last week the offensive numbers, small sample size again, have gone up across the board. Are we going to see more of that as Major League Baseball implements this no sticky stuff? I think we will, because we're already
1: seeing it as major league baseball was moving through that. Okay, we've warned you, but we're not yet enforcing it. Now they're actually going to enforce it. So pitchers are going to pitch with less tackiness. They're going to get fatigued more quickly. And we're seeing the summer months heat up. So even if you set the sticky stuff aside, then you're still going to expect some sort of an increase in offense in the summer months, uh, you know, as the numbers show every year. So I, I really think that after a slow start offensively, every team in baseball is going to start hitting a bit more. And for a Blue Jays team that's already hitting, I mean, we could see some real fireworks
2: here. Boys, uh, love it. Jam-packed. We're out of time and jam-packed with not only whole grain goodness, but good things. Pizza and the first sip of coffee. I'll throw ice cream on top and we got ourselves a top three. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Tim. If you are a baseball fan, at the Letters Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Time for a break. Other side, we keep it moving. NBA Draft Lottery Night. How will the ping pong balls fall for the Toronto Raptors? We'll look at their lottery history and break down the prospects with the New York Times' Mark Stein next. Oh, by the way, he was suggesting perhaps a Kyle Lowry sign and trade with Ben Simmons. <clears throat> Tim and friends, not sure if you heard, but there's a $70 million grand prize up for grabs in the Lotto Max draw Canada-wide tonight. But the lottery we're more focused on, excuse me, Careful with that word, too, is the NBA draft lottery focused on, which goes tonight Sportsnet 360. Houston, Detroit, and Orlando have the best shot at the number one overall pick, 14%. The Raptors have a pre lottery position of seventh, which means they have a 7.5% chance at the number one overall pick. Around similar odds for numbers two and three. 31.9% chance top four in what's seen as a pretty deep draft and top heavy. Despite all of the winning in the recent years, the Raptors have still managed to find some hidden gems late in the first round. Drafting OG Ananobi, 23rd overall in 2017. Pascal Siakam, 27th overall. Since 2012, the Raptors have had just one pick in the first 19. That's what continued success brings, but it always hasn't been uh, so good for the franchise. And the lottery brings back a lot of memories for Raptor fans. Here's Mark Sheldon with more. 14
7: ping pong balls. The difference between a hall of famer and an all-star, a franchise icon and a bench player. And with over a thousand possible four ball combinations, Some teams follow the bouncing ball all the way to Larry O'Brien, while others are left trying to figure out how to change their luck. And at 7.5%, the Toronto Raptors have the seventh best odds at grabbing the first overall pick tonight. So who knows? Maybe the lottery gods will be on their side. After all, it was only just two years ago the last time a team hit the jackpot, going from seventh heaven to first. The second pick will
1: be made by the Memphis Grizzlies, and that means that the number one pick in the 2019
2: NBA Draft goes to the New Orleans Pelicans.
7: Wow. Wow. And number seven's got to be a good omen, because the team heading into the lottery in that seven spot has grabbed a top two pick twice in the last three years. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Despite being locked out of the first overall pick in their first four seasons following expansion, the Raptors drafted incredibly well with their lottery picks. Getting Rookie of the Year, Damon Stottlemyre, followed by Marcus Gamby, then Tracy McGrady. And in 1998, the future of the franchise changed forever. I'd like to announce a trade. Toronto has traded the rights to Antoine Jameson to Golden State for the rights to Vince Carter plus cash consideration. The Raptors held two lottery picks in 1999, and both picks dropped a spot at the lottery. The team going from fourth to fifth and flipping Jonathan Bender for Antonio Davis, then also dropping from 11th to 12th, where they drafted Alexander Rodojevic who played in three games with the team. The Raps didn't have a lottery pick again until 2003, where they had a 16% chance at a generational talent. But the team fell to pick four, where they took number four, Chris Bosh, who will be the first player drafted by the team to make the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. The quest to find a big man to pair with Bosh was on. But there were no winning numbers to be found. And it ended up being Rafael Arujo at number eight in 2004 and Charlie Villanueva at number seven in 2005. The Raptors entered the 2006 draft lottery with a less than 9% chance at getting the first overall pick. But they sorta hit the jackpot. With the first pick in the 2006 NBA draft, The Toronto Raptors select Andrea Bargnani from Italy. The Raptors didn't land in the lottery again until 2009, where they had four lottery picks in four straight years, with DeMar DeRozan, Ed Davis, Jonas Valanciunas, then Terrence Ross. And that's when the Raptors got really good. They didn't have to purchase a lottery ticket again until 2016. And even that was a free play after the Knicks sent an unprotected lottery pick in a trade for Andrea Bargnani. (laughs) (laughs) That pick, at number 9, was used on Jakob Pirtle. And Pirtle, along with another former lottery pick in DeRozan, were traded for Kawhi Leonard a couple seasons later. Now the Raptors have gotten good bounces before, so who knows? Maybe Lady Luck will be on their side
2: once again. Joining me now to discuss the draft lottery, and beyond is one of the best NBA writers in the world, also a long-suffering Sabres fan, a celebratory Man City fan, Mark Stein. What's going on, Mark? How are you, man? I think I can celebrate... The NHL lottery,
3: right? I think I, I won the lottery. <laughs> so I believe is, is, it doesn't mean the same thing in hockey, but I you
2: know. I wonder if you wanted to win the other lottery that the Sabres won. I won't bring it up. Connery. Yeah, let's you not. No, I just let's let's talk basketball here. Um tough to gauge in a pandemic, but it seems by all accounts this is not only a deep draft but there's some real talent at the top.
3: Yeah, no question. I mean, when you talk about Cade Cunningham, and Suggs and Mobley and Jalen Green, I think teams are pretty excited. I, I, I think the sense you get is that there there is a drop after the top four in talent, but uh people have had their eyes on this draft and and have been pointing to it for a long time. So uh you know, look this this night it becomes more anticipated every year. And and honestly, the draft becomes more anticipated every year i this is my 28th season i have been doing this for a minute and i, I you know i shouldn't be surprised anymore but it still does marvel me it, you know there are only a few nba ready players every season i mean it just this isn't the 80s or the 90s as as you guys saw in that that piece you ran before we started here you know when you know, you you knew you were going to get a ready-made player in the lottery or, you know, a guy who had a lot of experience. I mean, now players having a year one impact is very rare, but interest in the draft just goes up. It increases every single year. Uh, you know, there are four teams left in the playoffs, but there are 26 fan bases that only want to talk about this tonight, assuming that they still have their first round pick. And the draft lottery, because the draft lottery odds have been flattened. It's easier to move up. There's more chaos. We saw that in the last draft lottery, two draft lotteries ago. So there's there's more action. There's more teams on the move. And a lot of crazy stuff can happen tonight.
2: Uh, I have uh, some interest in a, in a big man from Besiktas that seems to be climbing up boards. But is there... Is there a guy that you've seen out there in this mix that isn't being valued enough? Like, we know Cade Cunningham at the top. A lot of people saw Jalen Suggs and understand his quality because of the year that Gonzaga had. Is there someone on this board where you just look at and say, not enough people are talking about this guy?
3: No, look, I got to be honest with you, man. I mean, the reality is that covering the draft, it really has become... A 24/7, 365 deal, and the guys who really know that stuff best—it's not someone like me. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that I am, that I could tell you, you know, who's going to be a great steal at 28. I mean, I, I can't devote that kind of,
2: yeah.
3: you know, that kind of attention to it, and and um, it's it's hard enough for the teams. I mean, you could see, you know, teams are missing when even they pick high i mean that's what make it, it is you know, talent evaluation yeah. is so hard because again they're seeing so little of these guys before they make the pick so i mean i don't want, i don't want to sit here and tell you i'm the one who can who can got gotcha. you out a draft jam for you today but again that's the, the thing the hope that these picks represent it doesn't even you know you can't dissuade on draft night you can't dissuade fans that i mean on yes. lottery night you can't dissuade fans i mean you look at teams like Orlando and Oklahoma City and certainly the Warriors. I mean, those are really three teams to keep an eye on tonight because depending on how the ping-pong balls fall, they could end up with two lottery picks. And
2: Orlando is in a really strong position to do that. So this this is a huge night. So I was thinking about the Sixers bowing out of the postseason, and I put them in the same group as the Los Angeles Lakers. They should be kicking themselves for not yep. paying the price to go get Kyle Lowry at the trade deadline do you think that changes before next season i've already gotten the sense that the
3: lakers feel that remorse because you know they held out a player in Taylor horton tucker who you know they weren't even feeling comfortable enough to use in certain playoff situations so you have to ask yourself uh, you know what would, would things have been different had they made the move for Kyle Lowry. But then you also have to look at it and say the Lakers were so banged up that c- could Kyle Lowry have really made that much of a difference. If Anthony Davis has hurt, Kyle Lowry is not bridging that gap. For the six, the price was going to be much higher, I think, for them to make a deal for Kyle Lowry at the deadline. And that's why the Sixers didn't want to do it. But Kyle Lowry would have made a difference. And the Sixers should not have lost that series. They lost games five and seven at home and it does you know there is some curiosity now would that be something that philly wants to entertain would they trade to you know bring in kyle lowry now as a replacement for ben simmons instead of trying to bring in kyle lowry as an addition to a core with Embiid and tobias harris and ben simmons and i i do think that bears examination but i would also say I think there are going to be more Ben Simmons suitors than people think. Uh, his trade value has sunk to an all-time low. This series was a disaster. It's actually been sad, honestly, to kind of see how much heat this guy is taking. Um, it's I, you know, Paul George was hammered pretty hard when the Clippers unraveled in in the bubble. But this this isn't just from media and Twitter. This is no. you know his own coach and his own teammate. You know did not have kind things to say
2: this is rough stuff so the Sixers said all the right things today at their locker room cleanout, but I thought exactly what you thought and that is Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid uh threw Ben Simmons under the bus now that either tells you something about Simmons or something about this team and for one of them maybe both of them it's pretty damning isn't it yeah, like Joel Embiid, a
3: frustrated teammate. He didn't mention Ben's name. I, I think we can understand that one easier. Doc Rivers is so savvy and has done so many interviews, and uh, you know, his, his, you know, he he wasn't really, he didn't come up with a great protective answer for his guy, and I, I did find that surprising. And then, as you said, Doc Rivers came back the day after after exit interviews and and he's still bullish on Ben Simmons. But obviously the initial sentiments are out there now and, and they're not going away. But again, Ben Simmons for all the issues. And I mean, this is this, this is a confidence thing. I mean, he wasn't even willing to take a shot for the final four quarters. <laughs> you know, the fourth quarter in the last four games, that series. So there is much to repair. This is not like go in the gym for the month and come out fine. But he is such a menace defensively and so versatile there will, be a te- there will be teams, not just one, that are willing to try to bring him in and see if they can rebuild his confidence and see if they can get his career back on track. The problem is, you know, Philly thought Ben Simmons could be the centerpiece of a trade for James Harden. His trade
2: value is nowhere near that now. Do you think you could see something along the lines of a Kyle Lowry <laughs> signing trade for Ben Simmons? It's very complicated to do
3: that, but... I am wondering if that is one of these scenarios that does materialize. I, I, I don't want to sit here and say I've heard that either team is definitely planning it because it hasn't gone that far yet. But Philly would be naturally on a short list of teams for Kyle to go to because the Raptors didn't trade him. They would naturally want to try to work out a sign and trade so they don't lose him for nothing. And the fact that Simmons's value has gone down, you know, if the Sixers could pull something like that off, I think that would be seen as 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 a pretty nice win for them, given where things are right now. But I think Kyle's going to have a lot of interest as well. I mean, Kyle is going to have options.
2: Right.
3: Uh, and so uh, I think it's a little too early to make those projections. But, you know, I, I did hear I did hear some noise about that yesterday. I guess I'll say it like that.
2: Uh, there is so many layers to that onion the Raptors being able to develop whether or not Simmons will work hard enough to develop and then yeah. of course how much money is owed to a guy who is basically cold play I need to fix you like this is <laughs> this is in a real interesting spot uh, I always appreciate the knowledge uh, and I know you're gonna say something there but my not clock all- says oh three so I'm out of time I love the hat though the lid is awesome Uh, anytime you can rock a Buffalo Sabres hat on this show. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. There's Mark Stein joining us uh, live from New York City. When we come back, we shift our focus back to the ice. That's right. Pivotal game five in Vegas tied at two. Who will move one step closer to the Stanley Cup final? Sean McKenzie, Chris Johnson, Cassie Campbell, Pascal, Emily Kaplan, all on the way. Tim McCallum and friends of the show. Merci beaucoup. Sheepdogs back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. Euro highlights on the way as England look to win Group D today. Just two games on the slate, both of them Group D. Plenty of hockey talk on the way ahead of Game 5 from Vegas between the Habs, and the Knights. Chandler Stevenson, a game-time decision for Vegas. He's been out since Game 1. While no word on their starting goalie, but for what it's worth, Marc-Andre Fleury did go off the ice first at morning skate, which usually means he's the starter. But there might be some gamesmanship going on there. Chris Johnson in studio shortly, but first let's head to Vegas, check in with Sean McKenzie, who unfortunately has had to hang around Vegas waiting for the series to return there. Sean, uh, how you holding up? I mean, tough gig.
4: Tim I've said it once and I'll say it again it is dirty work but I happened to pull the short straw and get this assignment but just because the series was back in Montreal and I did have some downtime don't think I was relaxing and taking advantage of it I'll give you a little taste of my daily schedule wake up every morning you just got to read the game notes from the night before the practice Mm -hmm. before that's about an hour And then that can be stressful. So three to four hours by the pool just to clear my head. Understood. I come back, and you have to take care of the body, so maybe a 20-minute jog. And then if there's time, Mm -hmm. about a a three-and-a-half to four-hour dinner to replenish and (laughs) and nourish. So it's a tough tough schedule, like you said. But now the series is back here, though, and it's back to focusing on – the big things and those are goalie controversies i don't know if you would call it a controversy more something to keep a watchful eye on and i was at the golden knights morning skate today and it was interesting because both robin leonard and mark andre andre fleury were on the ice and Fleury was in what appeared to be the home net although we weren't exactly sure what the situation was at the golden knights practice facility and then you got a little taste of the leonard fleury relationship and they talk so much about how close they are and how they're happy for whoever is in net and we actually kind of saw it firsthand leonard was taking some extra shots and he kept looking over at mark-andre fleur and yelling you go off first you go off first knowing that the media was waiting for that moment to see who went off first but as you mentioned it was mark-andre fleury that went off he took the majority of the heavy workload and then robin leonard did stay after with some of the extras so all signs point to fleury We'll have to wait and see, though.
2: All right, so uh, you're in Vegas. Uh, if the books are open, and I don't, I know you're not walking around those. It's just all that hard work, the game <laughs> note stuff, and maybe some leg press because I've seen your quads. But whatever, uh, that's a hard life. I get it. If you were to walk into a sports book and they were to offer you Leonard versus Flurry, what are you taking?
4: Well, first, I don't do isolation exercises like oh. that. I'm strictly free weights. I got to yeah. keep the balances yeah, right. Under, so yeah,
2: understood. That's core.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's not my style. Um, <laughs> are we talking who I'm putting money on Going to be in that tonight. In between the pipes yep. tonight? Oh, it's got to, it's got to be Flurry. Like I I'm not a great gambler. I don't do much of it because I hate losing money and I always end up losing money, but that isn't even like a 50-50 split. I'm looking at the situation this morning and that's a very educated guess that everything that I saw led towards Marc-Andre Flurry being the starter. It could change, but being around the game and being at thousands of these morning skates uh it's very often that what you see is what you end up getting in a situation like this and I would put money on it being Marc-Andre Fleury listen I
2: I would be shocked if it's Marc-Andre Fleury but I was also shocked that they made the move to Robin Leonard for game four facing what could have been a 3-1 deficit uh never shocked that you have three-hour dinners appreciate it Mackenzie (laughs)
4: It's Vegas, so just about anything could happen. And me losing money is high on the list. So uh, don't, uh, don't put any money on that, people. Don't follow my lead. All right, buddy. Be well, man.
2: Thank you. There is Sean McKenzie in Vegas. Speaking of quads, George Springer back with the Jays after missing 44 games due to a quad injury after missing the start of the season and only playing in four games for the Jays this season. DHG. He's going to start in center field at fifth. For the Jays in Miami tonight, where you can see Blue Jay Central starting at six thirty Eastern. I don't mind if you flip; I'm okay with it. Three thirty Pacific on Sportsnet One, as mentioned. Springer starts in the five hole, leaving the top four intact. He talked about wanting to keep that top four intact, and that's exactly what we see. Ross Stripling starts and will hit in the NL Park, although he's used to it playing for the Dodgers. Meantime, Springer itching to play and make an impact for this team after signing his six-year, one 100- hundred. Fifty million dollar deal in the summer. I came here to win. I came here to play. You know,
6: I I've been on the bench since I don't even know when, a long time, and you know I want to go out there and and be who they want me to be. You know, I want to be what they they expect, and and you know I I expect. Um, you know, a lot of my own self, um, whether that's going to be outwardly or not, whatever. But I expect to 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 be the player that, you know, that they need me to be. And I'm not going to complain about it, whether it goes good or bad. I'm just going to go be the same guy every day. And, you know, hopefully I can help out.
2: More news earlier today. Alec Manoa suspended five games while Charlie Montoya was suspended. One after it was ruled that Manoa intentionally threw at the Orioles, Mikel Franco on Saturday. Manoa was tossed from the game and the bench is clear. Manoa appealing and he's a starter. So, five game, eh, maybe one, kind of a half if you just push a day back. Montoya will serve his one game tonight. Said at the start of all this thing called Tim and Friends that I get help, uh, get by with a little help from my friends. And my next guest has been just that. Despite not having many days off, ladies and gentlemen, from the NHL on Sportsnet, Hockey Night's headlines, the Drake of Coburg. Here's Chris Johnson. What's going on, Chris?
8: Good to be in here. Sean McKenzie used to be a friend of mine, but watching that segment you guys just did kind of bugged me. <laughs> I was supposed Maybe. to be in Vegas with him, and it didn't oh, happen. Uh, yeah, so there was some talk about that. So I'm feeling a little, little FOMO uh, you know, watching him from here.
2: Fear of missing out for those who don't follow along on Twitter. Um, it's, it's an interesting one because um, as he says all that, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel in Canada. Right. But, man, I'd punch him in the face if I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> like It's so tough to hear people or see games and not be able to do any of that.
8: Right. And to be in T-Mobile Arena, I mean, like, that's it's, it's one of the greatest things I would say to do. In normal times, if you're an NHL fan, great building to go watch your team play if you want to do a road trip. And then to get the third round of the playoffs, I mean, I haven't been in a building uh, with a, a meaningful number of fans in eighteen months or whatever it is. So you know, just to be experienced that must be be incredible.
2: The only thing uh more hotly disputed uh than who's going in net for the Vegas Golden Knights is who are the referees going to be tonight. We found out it's Kelly Sutherland and Eric Furlat working the game. They are new to the series, and before Habs fans get their undies in a bunch, uh the Canadians went five and one when Furlat works a game in this postseason. Um so there is a little bit of history. Uh, from what you're hearing, was this a response to the way the first four games were officiated, or was this just the bubble moving back and forth?
8: Well, I mean, basically the way that it works for assignments for referees, Tim, is is every couple games those assignments are laid out. So it's not like the whole series, starting at game one, there's a plan for who's going to referee. And, and obviously Stephen Walkham... Uh, who's the director of officiating, kind of monitors how things goes. He's he's grading performance. Essentially, you're earning these assignments. You know, right. guys are getting paid. The referees are getting paid to do this. So it's, it's it's you know, a pretty good cherry for them. And I, and I don't think the NHL is particularly happy with what they saw in Game 4. You know, all the outrage and the discussion I know you had yesterday on the show, you know, that, that – it resonated in the front office of the league. I think that they recognize that game got away from the officials a little bit, and so mm-hmm. they've switched it up for Game Five. I do think it's quite likely we'll see Sutherland and Furlat do Game Six in Montreal, but really, we'll have to see how tonight goes because you know I don't think that that's fully locked in just yet.
2: That would be a bit of a surprise, given the fact that we thought it was going to be bubbleized, right? Right.
8: Well, there and there is a, a bubble charter flying back and forth. I don't know. Right. How, exactly how it works and who's on it and I don't want to speak out of turn but there is a group of people that are allowed to cross the border right now as part of this series
2: but O'Rourke and Lee were in Canada waiting for that series to come no
8: I believe so yes yeah I
2: I thought so I don't want to put you in a tough spot because if you don't know that answer but that's what I had heard and the same two
8: referees did do games one and two in Vegas too correct so yeah this would
2: be a change of pace if it were the same two in game five and game six that's a that's all I'm saying
8: Well, just like you want to start the right goalie in these games, I think you want to start the the right right officiating crew uh, as well.
2: First two calls in this game could be huge. Not just Chris and I, but we head to the most famous office in the Calgary area, that of Cassie Campbell-Pasco. Cassie, uh, I'm not sure if you could hear our conversation here about the officials, but... um, (laughs) I I love it. I am um, by
9: um, a little help from my friends. No? I, have,
2: I am getting no. by with a little help get from that. my friends. Yes, that is awesome. Yeah. And uh, I hope I don't have to pay the rights fee on that. But whatever. Um, I know.
9: Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I don't hope I don't have to pay it. Who's going to do This is my home office. That would um, be pretty expensive. It's the Beatles.
2: We'll, we'll, uh, we'll courtesy them. So let me ask you this. That conversation that we were just having about the officials, and I was thinking, like, first two calls, Brian Burke used to say it all the time, right? Like, first call better not be a ticky-tack call. Like, do the do the players on the ice know what to expect or are they in a tough position too
9: well tonight you you, almost as a player you just got to park what happened the last game and start tonight and think okay it's going to be consistent i mean that's how you have to approach that's how you have to play it and i know in the women's game internationally we're always like what's body checking what's body contact what are they going to let go what are they not going to let go And You know, I think from this side of things, you just got to play your game. You got to be physical. You know, in fairness, that Nick Suzuki penalty was a penalty. It was a scoring chance. It's a stick in the hands. It was this one here, the McNabb Suzuki stuff, where it's a punch to the head. It was almost like the officials were like, okay, well, it's near the end of the period, so let's just go here. (laughs) Let's get this thing going. (laughs) We want to go back to the room. You know, there were some mistakes made. It was frustrating for the players. And don't forget the Corey Perry incident with uh, Jonathan Marsh, so the game before. So some frustrating moments for sure for these guys, but you have to park it and move on because, you know, if you allow yourself to get frustrated and it takes you away from your game, I mean, that can cost you the series.
8: Cassie, great to see you, by the way, but... uh, Yeah,
9: you too, Chris, you too.
8: Wondering, you know, how much do you think this is discussed sort of behind the scenes with the players in the dressing room, that the officiating, that is. I mean, it's been such a hot topic on our broadcasts, you know, on hockey Twitter, you know, throughout the the media, but do you think the players are, are focused on this to the degree we are on the outside?
9: I think after the game, it's a bit of a focus. You know, you do your media stuff, and then after the game, you're sitting around, you probably have a meal. I don't know how it's working during COVID. They might have to take their meals and go. But um, I, yeah, I think it gets discussed. There's some time spent on it for sure. But the next day, the leadership group, anyone who brings it up, they just move on. You know, you just kind of change the subject and you get people's sort of negative minds away from that. You, you just got to move on as quickly as possible. And by the way, guys, I actually have my helmet sitting here. That I played in my last Olympic games with in 2006, and the reason I have it here is I don't know if you saw Bots and the guys last night. They were playing dress up a little bit. Kelly brought out some old school helmets at Biexa. I'm not sure what year his helmet was from, and, and uh, Bots and Ron had their masks. So I'm ready tonight. Like I got my old school 2006 Olympic helmet here, and. Uh, i think i need a new helmet for sure so if anyone out there knows of anyone who has one but uh, i'm ready (laughs) whatever the guys have tonight as far as dress up goes i'm i'm ready ready Uh, to go when was
2: the last time you put that bucket on
9: well i i helped coach my daughter's team so i still wear this thing i can't believe it fits i got the humble broncos sticker of course Uh, i think everyone in the country does but this is the bucket baby and of course we used to wear masks but now that i'm coaching i just let it you know, just let the air go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so my daughter's hockey practice was, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's legendary almost. Like 2006, how long ago is that? This thing could maybe end up in some kind of, like, his, historical museum or something by now. Don't,
2: don't make me do math on this show. Um, all right, <laughs> Cass- <know>. Cassie Campbell-Pascal, <laughs> 15, 15 years. Uh, Cassie Campbell-Pascal <laughs> joining us here on Tim and Friends. So let me ask you, who do you think is starting in net for the Vegas Golden Knights, and do you think it's different and who should start tonight for the vegas golden knights
9: i think it's going to be flurry and i think flurry should start and i'll tell you you know when the decision was made last game with robin leonard to start i i kind of disagreed with it well i did disagree with it not kind of um reason being is because his last start was a disaster the team played poorly in front of him and really he hadn't played a ton of hockey right and And I I also was worried about Fleury's confidence, but the way Pete DeBoer has handled this publicly, you know, he's praised Robin Leonard for literally being the backup to a legend, to a future Hall of Famer, and how he's handled that role. He praised how Marc-Andre Fleury has gotten them to this position. And you can only imagine, if that's what he's saying to the media, he's done an even better job behind the scenes. And I give him a lot of, you know, kudos, because that was a real tough decision. And it ended up being the right one, and he could have looked really bad. But I love what he talked about fatigue. And, you know, we forget, guys, everything about this year is so different because they're playing condensed throughout the regular season, and at times they've had to condense the playoffs. And, you know, you you forget about the factor of fatigue, and not so much physically, but I think mentally on these players as they've been in this bubble. I mean, all of us are, are facing mental fatigue for sure, and so are these guys. Even though they're playing sport, even though they're NHL players, they still had to live in this bubble like the rest of us. And it's even been more strict, to be honest with you, than some of the provinces here in our country. And, um, and I think that, that played a role in Pete DeBoer's decision. And the way he's handled it, though, and I can only imagine his integrity and honesty behind the scenes with his goaltenders explaining it. I think Flurry's going to be the guy tonight. I think he should be the guy. And mm-hmm. I guess we'll wait and see until the warm-up starts. Because they even cover the cameras, apparently, in Vegas. So we can't even see them as they come out of the locker room. We'll have to wait till he steps out on the ice
8: love that I feel like I'm living the same day every day so I got to come up here just to avoid that fatigue you're talking about there Cassie and, and do these hits uh, you know just wondering for Montreal's end. such a close series you know what's it gonna take for them to, to have success tonight to go back to Vegas and find a way to get another win there
9: you know I, I think they got to find a little bit of a different way to provide some offense you know you look at uh, four out of the five games in the series no sorry three out of the four games in the series they haven't had a shot on net from Weber Petrie and Sherratt so and I know those three guys are all playing with some sort of upper body injuries hand injuries if you will so I'm going to give them the benefit of doubt that they're playing through some things here but I do think they need to start picking up some offense from the back end I think two assists in the series and you know we've watched what Vegas has provided from their back end it's it's been ridiculous every single defenseman that's played in this series for Vegas has scored a goal and so that's pretty remarkable and You know, that's one of the things for me for Montreal is if they could provide a little bit more offense from the back end, I think that will really benefit their overall team game. But kudos to those guys because they're all playing injured. Um, They're all playing great defensively. Don't get me wrong. They're, They're playing great hockey. I just think they need that little edge here moving forward.
2: Cassie, you can't pull out the bucket and not have us uh, discuss the Women's World Championships that's going to be played in Calgary. Like, what's the latest going on? When you brought out that 77, I, I realized what comes with it. Uh, and I started thinking about that Women's World Championship that's going to be in your backyard.
9: Yeah, you know, it's exciting. Obviously, it's, it's been a tough time for women's hockey with two World Championships canceled and, you know, everything going on between the PWHPA and the uh, NWHL. But exciting news it's it's going to start in August and it's going to be here in Calgary which is really exciting and of course there'll be a bubble and it, it'll be protective for everyone and there won't be much public if any public interaction. So really looking forward to that and um, yeah just really exciting. I think there's great things guys coming for women's hockey here in the next year and uh, I'm really excited about it and uh, let's just hope everyone can come together and do us right for the game and well, let's start with the world championships and then we have an olympic centralization year and then we'll see what happens and hopefully exciting news after that with some sort of unity and professional league that we can all you know go to and watch and and i think we're going to have that soon down the road
2: here here <laughs> like let's get there that momentum was building before the pandemic we start with the beatles we end with a little who all right uh, appreciate you doing this uh, and we do always get by with the Help of our friends.
9: I know. I was trying to get the song back, but I wasn't quick enough. So thanks, guys. Great to see you both. Cheers, Chris. See
2: you, Cassie. All right. Be well. There is Cassie Campbell-Pascal. She will be on the broadcast tonight. Game five, Habs Golden Knights. And while you're here, Chris, I know you're a fan of the Blue Jays. Jesse Rubinoff has some information regarding the Blue Jays that I haven't heard as of yet. I was just told. Breaking news. Well, George Springer's coming back. We know that. Yeah. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows,
5: Timmy and CJ. Every time well, I'm in in the studio, been i in studio. It hasn't been sunshine. Every but. time
8: I come in here, there's a Jays injury.
5: Yeah, well, we have another one. Uh, Nate Pearson has been placed on the seven-day IL. It is, in fact, a groin injury. He did have a grade one groin strain earlier in the year. That caused him to miss a little that's bit that, of time. So it's just not good news for Nate Pearson, who's trying to find himself a little bit down in the minor leagues, and this is most definitely a setback for him.
2: Uh, I, I know none of us are doctors. Do we have two groins, or is it one groin that goes all the way across?
5: That's a good question. I would say two groins. I'm going to go with two
2: groins. How many groins do I'm we gonna,
8: have? Oh, man, you need Colby <laughs> Armstrong. I, I don't know. Colby knows all about anatomy. He had every injury going, but yeah. uh, I'm going with two. Jesse I'm knows ju- what he's talking I'm about. I'm usually
2: good with the sports injury stuff, but, like, I'm thinking, is this the same groin? I've never but thought do of that have- before. The same side of the groin? Which part of it is? I know this is too many groin questions. Plenty more hockey talk (laughs) on the way. CJ, Emily Kaplan's coming by. Someone's going to answer that question. Make me feel like an idiot. But I thought it was a relevant question. Also, Euros next. Tim and Friends. Groins. Really never thought of that before. Welcome back. We got groin information. Also, just two hours away from Hockey Central, Ron and the panel had a Game 5 from Vegas, 9 p.m. Eastern on CBC and Sportsmanship uh, and Sportsnet, some sportsmanship or gamesmanship from Vegas on their starting goalie. No word from Peter DeBoer. Mark andre Fleury did leave the ice first at morning skate. Robin Leonard made some good saves off Cole Caulfield in Game 4 afterwards, discussed what he saw from Caulfield today, Caulfield had this to say.
8: I think that's a good thing that he's thinking about what I'm going to do. So I'm um, just kind of taking that in the next game. Um, you know, It's good that he's kind of opening his mouth. Um, you, know, you know what he's thinking now. So I'm um, going to kind of go off that and um, create new things to do and, and new things to look at.
2: Kind of like Cole Caulfield. A Look, breath of the fresh swagger. You yeah. love that. Yeah. Now, whether or not Robin Leonard will be in net for him to try the new things on Robin Leonard, that's the question. Like, for me, if they go back to Marc-Andre Fleury, it makes the call to go to Leonard even more gutsy from Peter DeBoer. Like, to, to start your goalie in a spot where you could go down 3-1, have him win that game, play very well, and then go back to even though they're both really good goalies, go back to Marc-Andre Fleury, it makes the call to go to Leonard even more gutsy for me.
8: I buy it. You know, I'm trying to think of any time we've seen this, if this is how it plays out, where a guy gets a win and there's no health-related issues that we know about, and they switch back to another goaltender. I mean, it's it's pretty rare. You know, we are moving more and more to two goalie systems. Obviously, this is a big part of why Vegas went and traded for Robin Leonard last year at the deadline because they felt it gave them an ability to do something like this. But... You know, he was sitting around for 42 days. He played, had one start, you know, before the last game in six weeks. And, you know, he played as well, as you say. You know, maybe it was just as, as you know, we're so accustomed to coaches lying or fibbing or skirting the truth at this time of year. But maybe it was literally as, as simple as the way Pete DeBoer explained it, that, you know, they're worried about Flurry's workload, that he would played too much and that they just wanted to spell him off, you know, get him a little extra rest and then, you know, have him fresh uh, for, for this game tonight.
2: It's unbelievable because, listen, I I sat here. Jesse brought up the two-goalie system. And I said, yeah, in the regular season, we've seen this a lot where a starting goalie doesn't play as much. You want to have a good quality backup so you can still get wins. But in the postseason, you don't see it as much. You don't see the coaches have the guts to make the call to do the things that they were doing because they know the situation that they're going to be in. And being down 3-1 and then turning back to Marc-Andre Fleury and saying... Can you help us out? Would have been a spot. I I absolutely love the move, and I wonder if this isn't the start of the actual two-goalie system being a part of the postseason.
8: Probably depends on the result if it works, you know, and, and yeah. whether that's fair or yeah. not. I mean, you know, so much of how this will be viewed is, is what happens in the game, and... and... You know, if if history judges it to be the correct decision, what's interesting you point out there, you know the North Division playoffs. Remember, there were back to backs, and the yeah. Leafs went with Jack Campbell twice. Edmonton went with Mike Smith twice in Edmonton. Carey Price started both. So you know, earlier in the playoffs, and maybe fatigue because it was you know at the beginning stages of the playoffs, the coaches had what I would argue is more of an opportunity to switch their goaltender. Without a doubt, yeah. You know, in those in those series, and and no one did that, and so to do it in, under these circumstances. But look, I mean, cross continent travels, not just nothing either right um you know and and these teams haven't been on these
2: kind of road trips all season long uh one more thing about this game and that is the officiating that has been talked about a ton and i feel like the subplot of that officiating conversation is the habs penalty kill because it's been absolutely insane for those who don't know in the entire playoffs they have allowed three power play goals against and have scored four shorties like the the sub- they're
8: net positive. <laughs>
2: they're a plus one on the penalty kill. That's unbelievable.
8: You can't. I mean, to play this many games, I mean, you're going to get close to 20 games. And to have that, that's that's nuts. I mean, and Vegas has done nothing with his power play throughout these playoffs. Yes, I believe they're at four last. power play goals total uh, for the whole postseason. And so... You know, I think that Montreal, strange as it sounds, because their own power play has issues, but they wouldn't mind a game with a few more uh, five-on-four situations because I do think it does favor them either, you know, with their ability to attack uh, when they're when they're killing a penalty. And I do think, you know, you, you you got Gustafson back there as kind of a specialist role for them. And Caulfield, uh, Suzuki's a good power play player. You know, they, they can probably get some advantage if there are more minors called in this game.
2: Uh, it's interesting to me because uh, I look at that and I think if Vegas power play starts clicking at all, this series could be over. But the problem is, Montreal has done a great job penalty killing, and Vegas hasn't done anything on the plower play to suggest that they're anywhere close.
8: Well, their top players offensively just haven't produced yeah. this series, right? I mean, it's Mark Stone, Jonathan Marchessault, Max Pacioretty, right down the list. I mean, these guys have not scored any goals and and really not generated a whole ton. Now, you know, losing Chandler Stevenson, who, who plays on their, their top line center, has hurt these last few games, and I do expect him to play in tonight's game. You know that that might get things going a little bit better for Vegas, but man. Uh, they've, they've been sort of nullified by the Canadians in this series. And based on what we saw them do against Toronto and Winnipeg's uh, dangerous forwards, you know, that, that's a trend that I, I don't yeah. I don't think is just a fluke. I don't think it's a coincidence that everyone who goes up against them has trouble scoring.
2: No, Philippe Deneau's reputation has changed mightily in Montreal. Did you see the, the fist bump today? No, I didn't.
8: Cole Caulfield was, was speaking him up in one of those Zoom calls. And, and as someone who has to do these for a living, they're usually terrible in right. terms of just personality. And he was talking about how great Philippe Deneau is. And then at the end, Deneau just goes... And and, and they do a little fist bump. So, you know, it's nice to see, uh, you know, a little bit of that personality.
2: Uh, I got something sent to me from Wikipedia about groins. Mm. Uh, We indeed do have two groins. Uh, We'll have more uh, updates on groins. It's not one groin from one side to the other, it is two groins to the pelvis bone and then down. So, we'll update more on groins and Nate Pearson a little later can on. Can you
8: tell us straight what's wrong with Pearson with using that image? Or? <laughs> uh,
2: um, no, I don't think I can. Uh, although the, it's kind of creepy. Can we go back to the image? Um, am I the only person that finds these things really creepy?
8: Yeah, I wouldn't do well in biology
2: class. You should have seen the other ones that I didn't bring up. They were almost, uh, you know, XX. Like I didn't want it to, was, it wasn't safe for family television. It's still early here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's Did a little rower. too early for some of those pictures. All right, so uh, two groins, everyone. You learn something new every day. All right, let's, uh, let's learn what happened at Euro 2020 in 2021 today as England needed a win to take Group D against Czech Republic team, who has been pretty good so far. So let's check out what transpired in our limited ability to show you highlights because it's on another network. Just two minutes in, Raheem Sterling with a great opportunity and a great chip, to be honest, but he found woodwork. It stayed out. Didn't take long. Ten minutes later, Jack Grealish. He's been good. He gets down the wing. A little touch off a defender right to Sterling. Heads it home. Second of the tournament. And England, another 1-0 victory. They finish a top group D1-0 the final. So, who would move on with them? Both teams, Croatia and Scotland, in Glasgow, needing a win to keep their hope alive of the round of 16. 42nd minute. Scotland down 1-0. And they get their first of the tournament. So we go to the second half. Croatia looking to take the lead. Touchback by Petkovic for Kovacic for Modric. Modric, Parasic, son of a... Uh, Croatia move to the round of 16. 3-1 the final as Modric a little bit of class to get Croatia through. So the final Group D standings look like this. England group winners on seven points. Croatia takes second place while the Czechs fall to third. Still qualify for the round of 16. All of them await their opponents, which they will find out tomorrow. And England could get a tough... Whoever's through could get a tough draw, depending on that group of death. Uh, Johnston, Scottish?
8: Scottish, eye. And I I feel like you had too many highlights, actually, in that pack. (laughs) We could have cut some of the Croatia out there because they were full value for that win.
2: Yeah, they were full value for that win. So, uh, Scotland out, but they were still singing. At the end of the game in Glasgow, uh, a big, big thing for Scottish soccer just to make this tournament. All right, back to Vegas after the break as we count down to the Habs and Golden Knights. Game five winners in a best of seven. Tied at two, go on to win the series 79% of the time. So definitely big game, both teams, ESPN's Emily Kaplan will join us from T-Mobile Arena next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and friends. We've seen three straight one goal games between the Habs and the golden Knights margins slim. Vegas coach Peter DeBoer for one, isn't surprised considering the Habs attention to detail defensively. You know, this team shut down,
1: uh, two very good offensive teams in Winnipeg and Winnipeg in Toronto. So, um, you know, and when you've got a goalie like they have, you, you have to be prepared to play a lot of one nothing, two one games, and you, and you have to get contributions this time of year from from guys who maybe don't normally score. And you know McNabb and Waugh the other night. Uh, that's exactly what what we're talking about. So, you know, that's uh, that's the way hockey is this time of year, and and we're prepared to to play that way.
2: Pete DeBoer uh, from Vegas. And speaking of Vegas, uh, we go right back down to the arena. And uh, Emily Kaplan, ESPN, joins us. Uh, unlike Sean McKenzie, I believe she has actually been working during her time in Vegas. Thanks for doing this, Emily. How are you?
10: I'll bite my tongue because Sean is literally sitting 30 <laughs> feet behind me. So I'm not going to say anything inflammatory. You're not going to bait me. Oh, I'm he, doing great there. He though. was
2: bragging about his three hour dinners like uh, 30 minutes ago on this show
10: course he was who booked (laughs) it I did I booked the good dinner
2: did you book him a good dinner
10: I did Lotus of Siam it's Anthony Bourdain spot on the strip off the strip actually it's at a strip mall it's the good spot to go to
2: awesome I've had so many good meals in Vegas right now that I'm remarkably jealous so let's talk hockey (laughs) um so who do you think is going to start in goal for the Golden Knights it seems like everyone's going flurry and it's a bit of a shock
10: yeah, you know, I did think it was going to be Laner. You know, Peter DeBoer. He plays mind games uh, with these guys. He, he's kind of toying them around, and it felt like he was looking for any excuse just to switch to Laner in the series. When Laner did so well in that game four, I thought they would stick to him. But we were at Mornings Gate this morning, and Marc-Andre Fleury was doing all the things typically that starters do, taking the heavier workload early. Then Robin Laner stayed late with some of the extra skaters. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, it's a little debate, though, whether he was the first one off the ice. I thought I heard Robin Laner yelling at Marc-Andre Fleury Get off the ice first. Robin tweeted at me to clarify he was actually talking to Logan Thompson, the third string goalie, who was off the ice first. I don't think he's starting, Logan Thompson. That is my news that I can break to you guys. Um, I do think it will be Marc Andre Fleury, who was second off the ice, but first off the ice out of the big two. Wow,
2: that's a lot to digest, Emily. Uh, You've, you, you know, I. Always you, coming at so, you. With a so lot. You, you weren't talking bleep, because Robin tweeted back at you. You're not one of the bleep talkers that he was talking about, are you?
10: I don't think so. You know, Rob and I have known each other since he played in Chicago, and we'll we'll go offline to DM if he, he needs to say some things. But, um, no, I, I got the smiley face. I think the smiley face is good. Fair I enough. think I'm in good graces. Yeah,
2: I think smiley yeah. face emoji puts you in good graces, yeah.
10: I was wondering,
8: actually, Emily, given your relationship with Rob and sort of what you made of his performance coming into the series, what he said after the game. I mean, you know, how did you view the, the last 48 hours for him on the ice end off?
10: Validation. You know, I, I think with Robin, ever since he went to rehab, um, he's turned his life around and he has been so committed to the sport and has put up really great numbers and has showed that he could be a top goalie in this league. Unfortunately, he's still still not quite viewed that way. You know, no one would give him more than a one-year deal until Vegas gave him the five years. And even when he got here now, he's, you know, committed to him for five years and he's not even the number one goalie. And so for him to put in this work every day, have to go out there and be the good soldier in that Colorado game when the rest of the team let him down in game one 37 shots against he did make 30 saves but he let in 30 goal, uh, seven goals um, and then to be able to come back from them put in the work every day uh, he showed up for that press conference he had something to say um, he was very well prepared I think he thought about those things ahead of time um, and I thought he came across as a guy who has conviction in himself and I also think that he wants to show the world that yes I know you guys think this is the dramatic goaltender competition and it is but Marc-Andre Fleury and I get along really well. And I've heard from both camps, from both sides, that that is true, that they do really get along well. And it could be so easy for this relationship to derail. But it's a testament to those two guys that they've been able to support each other through all of this drama, as you guys would say in Canada.
2: <laughs> and if they go back and forth, it is a testament. And it is uh, something that we haven't seen a ton of in the National Hockey League where you can do that and not have the drama that goes along with it. So... I wonder with Dom Ducharme now missing his third straight game, does it ever become a factor for the Montreal Canadiens? Or do they have enough systems in place and Luke Richardson there enough throughout the year that he can control this bench? Or do you think it ever becomes a factor not having your head coach?
10: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, this team has been through adversity before. Last year, again in the bubble, Claude Julien had the heart issue and Dom Ducharme took over and they were able to adjust to that. And this year, it feels like in these games without Dom Ducharme, they've looked like the same Canadians team. They haven't lost their identity at all. Like, I look at the Islanders playing the Lightning last night. I'm like, that's a team that just lost its identity for a moment. The Canadians never got to that point. So I think that's a testament to this room being a lot stronger than we thought, the culture being a lot stronger than we thought. Um, And this is just a team that was built for the playoffs and we underestimated them a lot until this point
8: i wanted to actually ask you about that emily i mean tim jesse and i we've we've all been watching north division being based here in canada we've had probably our extra focus on that division whereas you you know down in the u.s i'm sure we're watching the others more closely have have you been surprised at how close montreal's managed to keep this series despite you know some of the i guess the the growing sentiment out there that the north division might have been a weaker division
10: I'm shocked. (laughs) I'm, I'm frankly shocked. I think the biggest thing for me is I was covering the last series with Vegas, too, against Colorado, and we all view Colorado as one of the best, if not the best team in the league, right? They won the President's Trophy, and they can't hold a candle to the way Montreal plays defensively against Vegas. They were not as heavy as Vegas, and I think that ultimately was their doom. They just didn't have that grit. And when I talk about Montreal, I think of a team that's rolling four lines, is doing great things defensively, sticking to its structure, and getting opportunistic scoring. Of course, when Kerry Bryce can stand on his head, It's important and it's great, but they have a need to rely on that. And that's why I'm shocked, because I figured if they were going to be in the series, it's just because Carey Price just, you know, did Carey Price things.
2: And it's been a combination. And let's be like, without Chandler Stevenson, it almost resembles the Leaf series or the Jets series, where you get down to one line and Montreal is able to win that battle because Philippe Deneau and that line have been so good defensively. Without Chandler Steven, one, just Stevenson, one, are the Habs winning that battle? And two, do you expect that to change tonight? Do you expect Chandler Stevenson to get back in?
10: So he was at Morning Skate today, and Peter DeBoer says has that he is close. So um, I would say it's a game-time decision, which Peter DeBoer said, and that means that probably it. Um, you know, it looks like it's trending that way. Um, it's curious. You know, I think the stat that stands out to me with Vegas, is they have 10 goals in the series, 10. Three of them have come from forwards, and that's just unacceptable. And at this point, I think it's just going to take an individual gritty effort like what we saw from Jonathan Marsha's show in that Colorado series to get these forwards back in it because their lines just aren't really as well-oiled as – Honestly, Montreal's look at this point. So obviously if Chandler Stevenson comes back in, it's huge because that top line functions very well when he is centering it. Um, but other than that, there's other forwards that need to step up. And I do think that Golden Misfits line, you know, the, the three guys that were together from that inaugural season, Jonathan Marchessault, William Carlson, and Riley Smith, I'm looking at them for a big game tonight.
8: Most important question for last, Emily. If Montreal wins this series, if they play in the Stanley Cup final, if you get to Canada, will we get the proud Jersey girl to eat a Montreal bagel?
10: Oh, my God. I love Montreal bagels. I know I'm a bagel snob. I just don't eat them in Chicago. Montreal bagels are very distinct. They are sweeter. They're a little more dense. Actually, the only place I'll eat bagels in Chicago is a Montreal-style place. So I will be eating all the bagels, Chris.
8: Oh, I thought for some reason you had it out for Montreal bagels. So I'm I'm glad to know this. Well, it does say bagel snob on the Twitter bio, though.
10: Yeah, well you have to ask the questions to understand the snobbery.
8: <laughs> well, every once in a while on it's her Instagram specific. she'll have like a suitcase full of bagels, like just posted up there. So we're we're if, if- I
10: do have my mom ship them for me, yes.
8: Really? She's legit. It's not, it's not false advertising.
10: If the issue is in the Midwest, um, where I live now in Chicago, it's the water. They don't know how to do it. Like I think you need to bring the water in from New York or New Jersey. So, yes, I smuggle bagels all the time. I'm proud to say it. If the federal authorities want to get after me, so be it. I'm saying this on Canadian TV.
2: I am, uh, I am a lover of Montreal bagels as well, so I will jump on that bandwagon too. Uh, always appreciate when you, uh, when you jump on the show. Thanks for doing this.
10: My pleasure, guys.
2: Uh, Emily Kaplan from Vegas, so Brendan Gallagher said that he felt like the longer this goes on, the more pressure falls on Vegas. Agree or disagree
8: agree, hard agree. I mean, look at Emily just voiced it there. I think the view was this was Vegas's series to lose you know they've they 've been all around this cup for the last four seasons of their existence. If they fall short here, this will have some re- real repercussions, I think for that organization. And, you know, they're in a very tough series now. And so the longer it goes, the more those seeds of doubt get planted, the tougher it gets for the Golden Knights.
2: I, I still feel like even Emily in that conversation, I felt like she felt like this was a Tampa game where you assert yourselves, not, maybe not eight nothing, but it feels like a lot of people feel like Vegas is the better team, Tampa is the better team, and eventually they will assert themselves. And the longer Montreal hangs around, I'm with you. Well,
8: Montreal is plus two ten when I looked at the betting lines earlier. So two to for one this game underdogs. I mean, yeah. I would. I, I'm. This is not gambling advice, but Carey Price, two to one. Yeah, I'd be putting my money on it's
2: Montreal. Value. It's not gambling advice. It's just that is good value on a guy who is that good. Uh, they get him two goals in this playoffs. He wins. That's exactly. Crazy. Time for one final break. We'll do last call. Cj Jesse next here on Tim and Friends. Not even the three. Just two goals. Crazy. Money. It is the final segment of the show. It is last call. CJ stick around because he's never said no to last call to me. Love that. Jesse Rubinoff will conduct. What it- is
8: last call?
5: <laughs> it's been a long time for <laughs> us. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's
2: it's true too.
5: In time, in time, CJ. Yeah. Uh the Canucks announced today that Daniel and Hendrik Sedin. We're rejoining the team as senior advisors with their management team. The team said the Sedins will learn and support all areas of the team's hockey operations. So CJ, is this just a PR move or do the Sedins have a future as NHL executives?
8: No chance. This is just a PR move. This is a savvy move, I think, for this organization. These are two guys that, first of all, they have self-awareness, I think, is really their, their greatest skill. You know, just thoughtful. Great, honest in- people with integrity. I think they're going to be great executives, and I think this is a great move for the Canucks.
5: Are they going to have to do it together?
8: Is the question? Dual GMs. they've done everything together <laughs> to this point. Awesome. Why not? I mean, they played a whole career on the same line. It's it's the it's timing nuts. of the
2: leaking of this news made it feel like a PR move. But the way they've handled it since we heard about that initial timing. Is the way the Sedins wanted to do it, yeah. and they've done it right. They
8: do everything with class. There's no chance that this is just to get a few good headlines in Vancouver. This is these guys will be GMs or something, you know, one day. I'm and sure this is
2: it. the right thing to do. Let them learn. But just the initial timing of that first leak of this idea was terrible timing from the Canucks organization. But these two, as Chris said, I will reiterate it. Just the timing early. Some timing's everything in life, CJ.
5: <laughs> no doubt. I'm late. <laughs> uh to basketball. Game two of the Western Conference Finals goes tonight at 9 Eastern on Sportsnet 360. The Suns lead the series 1-0. Once again, Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul will both miss the game. Tim, do you think the lack of star power is hurting interest in these NBA playoffs?
2: Not for me, but I actually find it refreshing. I, I have enjoyed this playoffs and I think In talking to the electorate and polling the electorate, I feel like there's a lot of people that feel the same way. Like it was same old, same old, and every year you could predict it was going to be in the NBA Finals. I think people are are enjoying this a little bit. I don't know about the networks, but I feel like people are enjoying this.
5: I will give you some stats to back up your claims. So 2021 viewership through the conference finals, 3.5 million viewers across TNT, ABC, and ESPN. That's up 39%. From 2020 you have a look there 6.9 million watch the Bucks and Nets I mean big numbers across the board people are watching NBA I'd like to pass, go back so to
2: 2019 just and because see of the bubble numbers. situation yeah, yeah I feel like the bubble situation was way lower yeah. but people are watching uh, I'd
8: like to go back to 2019 too yeah, but for yeah, entirely been, different reasons <laughs> period yeah, awesome. go Raptors right. solid point <laughs> um
5: there was a bill C218 uh, passed by the Senate today, making the legalization of sports legal. Sports betting legal in this country and imminent. CJ, what does this mean for the National Hockey League? You can bet
8: on single games. Well, it's, look, we're all going to be bookies, <laughs> but this time next year, I think. Honestly, all the big media companies are going to get more into mm-hmm. to gaming and gambling. The league and the teams are going to do the same. We've already started to see the NHL do that in, in jurisdictions in the U.S. where they're allowed. I think it's great because it's potential new streams of revenue for the league, uh, for the people that employ us. And, look, we're, we're going to be talking about gambling. We're going to be talking about odds. You know, Max Pacioretty to score tonight for Vegas is this. You know, that's a good bet. I think that that's where this is going. And, look, I, all my friends do this, so why not? I just it's
2: it, it's about time. But please play responsibly.
5: Yeah, we almost hit on some piñata picks, but, you know, Louis Oosthuizen to win a major, it's just not going to happen in a century. This no
8: Should have got him to no finish chance. second. And yeah. if you guys want a tip, you want gambling advice, David Amber is your man. David is Amber is red hot these last few months. Oh, yeah. So there's no, the he tip. He always
2: seems to be free talking about the gambling on that show, yeah. and it's really Amber feeding him, eh?
8: Amber is, he's a wizard. He likes to keep it low-key, but I'm outing him right here. Yeah. Why are Tim and Jesse just
5: messaging me all the time now? Uh, to baseball, back to baseball. As we told you earlier, Jays pitching prospect Nate Pearson has been placed on the seven-day minor league injured list because of a right groin strain. Now, it is the same groin the the 24-year-old
2: injured in spring training twice. Mm -hmm. Tim, the question is, what's your favorite groin? Oh, my left groin. Really? Yeah, way, Mm. way. I didn't know that I had a left groin Mm. until earlier today. I just thought it was the left side of the groin, but my left groin way better than my right. It was a
5: very educational experience today, learning that there were two groins. Although, there are some people writing in saying it's a little bit uh, more complicated than just simply two groins. There's like five muscles per groin, and it's hard to determine, you know, if they're actually... Separated? There's yeah, two, it's but...
2: because the the pelvis is so small. Could it actually stretch across the pelvis? And the only way to know is to open someone up. And I don't think any of us. No, are, yeah, this is going down. Oh, a I don't think fun, we're.
8: Fun I'm just hoping you guys don't come to me. I got nothing. To add.
2: <laughs> I don't think anyone's volunteering here. Uh, CJ, we won't come to you. We'll leave you alone. But we will say thank you for being a friend. Love it. Love coming in here. I'm pumped for tonight's game too. Uh, game number five tonight. Jesse has always great work. Uh, And a great night across the network. Springer in the lineup for the Jays against Miami. NXT's on Sportsnet now. Draft lottery. Western Conference final. We'll talk to you tomorrow.